From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. My wife and I have three young kids, and we're trying different things to help them get excited about Catholicism. So we go to a mass with a very lively band and choir, and we sit right next to the drummer. We try to celebrate different relatively minor Catholic holidays that have various sensory experiences, like the small gifts left in shoes the morning of St. Nicholas Day. And we hang sacred art on the walls. We've got a vivid outdoor crucifix by Gustav Klimt, some colorful prints by our artist friend, Brother Mickey McGrath, icons of Mother Teresa and Oscar Romero, and some other things scattered throughout the house. I hope being surrounded by this beautiful stuff on the walls will pique our kids' imaginations and maybe help them feel that faith and human creativity go hand in hand. So I was incredibly excited to come across a new publication from Ignatius Press called The Catholic Home Gallery, which is absolutely stunning. It's made up of 18 works of art by contemporary Catholic artists, each of which is removable from the book and suitable for framing. The images are accompanied by short essays on the artist and their work. The creative mind behind this project is John Herriot, and he's my guest today. John is a graphic designer for Ignatius Press and a talented artist in his own right. He's also a passionate student of art history and deeply faith-filled. I asked him about how the home gallery came to be and what trends he's noticing in Catholic sacred art today. We also talked about the intersection of beauty and faith more broadly. Whether you're a lover of sacred art or just curious about how art can help you grow closer to God, I think you'll really enjoy John's reflections. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts. And thanks for joining us. Well, John Harriet, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time. How are you? I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to talk to you about a number of things, all things related to contemporary Catholic artists, sacred art, finding God and beauty, all that good stuff. And we were just saying before we started that podcasts are not visual medium and we'll be talking about visual stuff. So we'll make sure we can send people places where they can go. But I do think it, you can still talk with words about visual things, even if we can't see them in this moment. And hopefully folks will will check out some of the stuff. And I'm excited to, to start by asking you about this new publication, new book that you worked on uh, with Ignatius Press, which is where you work. Um, it's just called The Catholic Home Gallery. And I think it's a really cool thing. It's unique. I feel like I haven't seen much of, at least unique today, uh, in terms of things that we often see. And so maybe we could start just by you kind of giving us a, a description. If you get The Catholic Home Gallery, which I am sitting with a copy of right now, um, what do you, what's in your hand? Like, kind of describe could you describe it for us like what what is going on here well it's going to look like a, a a slightly oversized soft cover book with flaps and inside there are there's artwork from nine different artists two pieces of art each and they are all on an eight by ten page that is detachable so you can pull out each one of these prints and you can frame it and put it up on the wall so a book that's meant to be I won't say de destroyed, it's not destroying it, but taken apart in some ways. It's not going to stay, hopefully not stay in its original form for long once you, uh, once you get it. 
Yeah, I mean, you could always just have it out as a sort of coffee table style book, but re really the intent is, is to, to pull these things out and put them up on your wall. So where did that idea come from? Now, certainly, like, I am on Instagram, and I see a lot of Catholic artists on Instagram. I bought some of their stuff, prints on Etsy, individual prints that will come that I'll, that I'll put up, or I'll make uh, something like a lock screen on my cell phone or, or something. Um, but where, where did you come up with the idea to, to do it in this form, uh, in this book form? What, what led to the, the creation of the Catholic Home Gallery? Well, I would about... 20 years ago, I was part of this online group that uh, was Catholic Illustrators and Artists. Uh, its name was kind of a pun, Small Packs. Uh, and we w kind of were encouraging each other and posting various things. And around that same time, I started to really collect art for my own apartment at the time. Uh, and one of the things I kept seeing were these folios of prints, mostly from the early 20th century. Oftentimes they'd be in conjunction with like the WPA in the 1930s where they were trying to find work for artists. Hmm. And it would be these prints and they were intended to be taken out and framed and put on the wall. And I started to think, you know, it, a lot of people, they'll become aware of individual Catholic artists here and there, but wouldn't it be great if you could do a folio like this and introduce people to a number of them all at once and you'd have some high quality prints, you'd get to know these artists a little bit. And hopefully it would also drive you to go seek those artists out and see what other work they've done. So I think sometimes when we think about like kind of sacred art, art that depicts the saints, depicts different titles of Mary or Jesus, we think of this as like an old fashioned thing that, you know, you can go into an old church, see those things, go into a museum, see things from the Renaissance or Middle Ages or earlier. Um, but these are all contemporary artists, artists living today. Um, what drove you to want to highlight contemporary artists uh, in particular? Well, I think, you know, in the old days, you, you might call, you know, like back in the Renaissance, medieval times, you'd have these great artists and they were often working within a, a powerful patronage system where they were, you know, very wealthy people who were paying these people to create devotional works for private chapels or, or public chapels, things like that. Today, uh, a modern Catholic artist is relying on individuals, usually small, you know, people who, who aren't going to be financing a chapel or something like that. And so highlighting the people who are working right now, I think, is very important to the life of the church, uh, and especially because uh, it's really easy to fall into tra the trap of thinking that, like you say, art is something that happened in the past. And you don't see that it's an ongoing part of the life of the church. So when you're surveying the scene uh, and then trying to come up with artists who you would, would want wanted to invite to appear in the Catholic Home Gallery, what were some of the things you were noticing, paying attention to, some of the trends maybe that you could see emerging across this landscape as someone kind of uh, a close observer of it and participant in it? And then also... It, yeah, what what led you to invite the, these particular artists? What about them? What did you want to capture? What was part of like the mission of the, the book? So that's a lot of questions at once. So, um. yeah. Um, well, one of the things I definitely wanted to do starting out is I wanted to uh, highlight a, a variety of styles, uh, because also there's tends to be sometimes a bias towards oh I'm I'm gonna stick with people who are working in an established 
ecclesiastical style. And uh, there's a lot of people out there doing really interesting work that um, is a little different. So, and then some of these people also, I just, I've known for years, like Tim Jones, uh, it's one of the artists in here. He's a friend of mine. I've been to his house before. Uh, I, I think he's really talented. Uh, I've been familiar with the work of Michael O'Brien since the 90s. Matthew Alderman is an artist I've worked with on various projects um, for, at work. Uh, I've commissioned him to, to do cover work for, for Ignatius Press. And uh, Bernadette Karstensen, I first encountered her art by seeing it in person in San Francisco. Uh, and James Janknet, um, Jim's a, a social media friend of mine. I've never met him in person, but we've been kind of corresponding for, for years. So, um, yeah, what, what are some of the, the styles to you or the different maybe other trends that you're seeing? I know there's, so you have a range of styles here, um, help like orient us to like some of the things that you're noticing in terms of, uh, contemporary styles in, in Catholic art. Well, one of the things that I think is a little bit of a disadvantage for the modern Catholic artists is that in the past there were sort of established schools of art that often you could kind of fit into, or you could be influenced by and it's pretty wide open right now as far as catholic art there's not um there's there like you've got in the late 19th century you had the buron school which created the saint benedict medal and it sort of unleashed this wave of of very distinct stylistic uh approach to church decoration you see their influence here in cincinnati because it's you know they were german buron uh, abbey was was german there's a huge amount of that influence on churches here, uh, and nowadays, you know, if you're if you're a Catholic artist, you're kind of uh, looking into you know what is inspiring you, and I think for a lot of people, it, it, you can end up falling into almost a little bit too much of an individualism is in your approach, but um, at the same time, it does mean that you've got a real diversity of styles to draw upon. So like Matthew Alderman, I'm just going to run through some of these artists here quickly. Matthew Alderman, I have him first in here because I'm going alphabetically. He works generally in black and white, sometimes with limited color. So what he's got in here are two prints. One of the uh, wedding at Cana has a, just a little bit of red in it for the wine and for the halo uh, on, on, around Christ's head. And his style is very influenced by Art Nouveau, late 19th century, early 20th century. In particular, I can't remember the name of, there, there was a Jewish um, Art Nouveau artist who was influential in the beginning of uh, this Zionist movement who uh, he, he draws upon. And I believe he's, uh, yeah, Ephraim Moses Lillian. So if you if you get it if you can write that down and look him up he's he's got some fascinating artworks particularly of like Jewish heroes and and uh, history like Moses and uh, Judith and things like that so that's Matthew Alderman what, what he has in here is he has got the wedding at Cana and he's got a depiction of um, Blessed Solanus Casey now if it's going to go kind of into the opposite end of stylistic things. Uh, Jim Janknet, who I mentioned before, 
he is probably the most modern looking as far as what people stereotypically think of as modern art in this collection. Uh, and what I find fascinating about his work is that he's also probably the one who draws the most on traditional symbols. So uh, he's got uh, Mary um, the Ark, uh, which is one of her traditional titles and also depiction of the miracle of the sun at Fatima. And there's a whole lot of symbolism in his work that is going back, you know, to the very ancient symbols and titles of Mary and and artistic flourishes and things like that. But if you look at them, the the colors and everything he's using are, are very much not what you'd think of as traditional. So the way like you have these artists working in contemporary styles in dialogue with these traditions in, in different ways, as you're describing Maybe we could just step back for a second and like, you know, I see sacred art. I go to museums or in churches and you see things like, oh, that's pretty. But like, I don't often think, stop to think like, okay, what is this for? Where, what is this tradition? What What is the point uh, or the number of points? And so I don't know if based on your own kind of uh, studying and learning and being part of this tradition, if you could give us like any kind of historical context for for sacred art like how how did these movements emerge um especially in in catholic settings do you are you able to do any of that uh like any of that history lesson for us well i mean uh in brief the sim you know the symbols and the uh images that are in churches have always had kind of a dual purpose one is catechetical you learn from lo looking at them uh but there's they're also devotional and both inspire devotion and are object, become objects that are reverenced. So um, I think one of the most accessible to modern people uh, points to kind of enter into the into a, a deeper understanding of Catholic art and where it came from, where it's going. And here I'm going to go, you might need to look these up afterwards. So there's two important um, artistic schools. The one I mentioned before is the Buron School, which was there was a Benedictine Abbey that centered around uh, creating things liturgically. And then there's a secular artistic movement, which is not that well known, although it had some influential artists who were part of it, which was called the Nabi brotherhood and that it's spelled n-a-b-i-s um, some of the early people who were involved in that include paul gauguin uh, one of the members of it uh, whose uh, name is escaping me at the moment here uh, he actually ended up becoming a monk at buron because he became convinced of the need that of his art to be anonymous just strictly to glorify god but with both of those schools of thought, they thought a lot about what is art, what's the purpose of it, how does it fit into architecture, what, how is it something that is individual, is it something that is communal? So there's a whole wealth of, of meaning that you can find when you look, when you read those uh, the people who are involved in both of those artistic movements. In the Nabi movement, a lot of those artists. Uh, ended up becoming Catholic as a course of their 
they kind of started out in sort of esoteric religion stuff, and then a lot of them became Catholic. And eventually, some of them ended up working in ecclesiastical decoration and, and working on directly on church projects. But uh, I'm not to get too far off the track, but I think it's it's hard to summarize quickly all of these things. But the reason I like the Buron School and the Nabi painters is that they were at the cusp of the turning from the 19th century to the 20th century and entering into a very modern world. And they were grappling with the same questions that we're still working with, like technology, uh, a secularizing society. How do we keep spirituality grounded? Uh, and how do we take the um, these ancient forms of religion and worship and represent them in a way that makes them accessible to modern man? So uh, it's, uh, it's a fascinating thing. And I think a lot of the artists who are working today are kind of working in that spirit, whether or not they're familiar with those terms. Mentioning, you know, technology and kind of responding to the signs of the times. And I think about like, so you mentioned earlier, like kind of the patronage system historically, where maybe a wealthy family or king or queen or someone commissioned certain types of art or, or building of churches. And now a lot of these artists now, they develop their following online, uh, on Instagram, um, in particular, selling things on Etsy or their own websites, connecting again with people that way. And to me, like that is one of the the good things about social media is that maybe that there are there are lower barriers to entry. You know, people, anyone can sign up for Instagram and put stuff up there, and you know have access to an audience. Maybe not as well of a paying audience, certainly, but can get their stuff out there in front of people and can share it and can learn from each other and connect. Um, and so, yeah, I'm curious for you as someone kind of seeing these people there and like how has the internet, Instagram. Etsy, these places kind of affected this community uh, today? I think it's it's been um, beneficial in a lot of ways to, to a lot of people. The one thing that it, it, I, I think that it's always a little bit of a danger is that when you're looking at things exclusively through social media is um, it's easy to, to take it for granted and sort of flip through it quickly without stopping and really mm. looking like mm. you do in a museum. Sure. Um, but at the same time, some of these artists that I have in here, like Matthew Connor, um, uh, Gwyneth Thompson Briggs, Elizabeth Zalasko, I don't think I would have encountered their work for the first time if it wasn't for social media. And uh, it definitely has a way of connecting people. And due to the how, how the kind of, you know, algorithmic, sources work online and once you start encountering a few of these people you're probably going to encounter more i want to ask you now kind of about approaching art so you mentioned there's that temptation sometimes to scroll past but like how do we how do we look and there's a quote in the beginning of the book from um pope emeritus well, i guess pope benedict the 16th i guess no longer emeritus uh, as we pray for the repose of his soul um his book on the way to jesus christ and he, he writes this Looking at icons and, in general, at the great masterpieces of Christian art leads us on an interior way, a way of transcendence, and this brings us in this purification of the heart face-to-face -face with beauty, or at least a ray of it. So why did you include uh, that quote, and what do you think it's drawing us into? 
Well, that's one of the things that I've always found very attractive about the thought of Ratzinger is that he is somebody who, who um, along with, uh, you know, one of, one of his other friends, uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar, uh, really recognized the power of aesthetic beauty to kind of break down interior barriers that go beyond, you know, merely sort of, I, I think that oftentimes when you, when you look at Catholic presence online, it tends to lean really heavily into the apologetics field where it's all about argument, trying to engage people intellectually on, uh, and not very much making space for people to, to behold uh, beauty in a way that may stir somebody in a it, and uh, in a kind of deeper, sort of almost directly into your soul way that uh, trying to beat them over the head with you know, reasoning uh, really can't. I mean, that was one of the uh, second part of that quote is, to me, one of the most powerful things where he, he says, I've often said I'm convinced the true apologetics for the Christian message, the most persuasive proof of its truth, offsetting everything that may appear negative, are the saints on the one hand, and the beauty of the faith is generated on the other. And, you know, you look around right now, I mean, you you keep, every time you hear another story about some scandal, you, you think, think, well, maybe maybe finally we've gotten through the worst of the things that we could hear about the, the church or the worst about the history of the church that we could, we've, we've, we finally hit the rock bottom, but no, then something else will come up. And, uh, at times like that, uh, it's very hard to try to argue with people into believing something. And, uh, I think it's then that, like he says that the, the lives of the saints and the beauty of the, that the church has generated really helped speak more than anything. I want to then ask you kind of as a follow-up to that idea, like kind of differences maybe between secular art and sacred art, putting quotes around these things. I'm not sure those distinctions are always helpful, but I, I, I especially coming from a Jesuit perspective where, you know, Ignatius invited people to find God in, in all things. And there's, I think, a great tradition in, in, within the Society of Jesus of uh, trying to engage all kinds of culture, including quote-unquote secular culture and finding God there, grace there. And I just, I want to tell you a little bit about an experience we just had in our office. We took a, an outing. We were in D.C. They, you can get free tours at a lot of these Smithsonian museums or other ones in D.C. So I arranged for a tour uh, of the National Gallery of Art East Wing, which is uh, the modern wing of the National Gallery here. And a big part of that tour is um, an installation of Barnett Newman's Stations of the Cross. Uh, Barnett Newman, who is, you know, a I don't know what school he would be in. Certainly not painting figures, abstract artist. The, his famous things are kind of uh, big canvases with these vertical lines that he called zips. They kind of run through them. In the Stations of the Cross, there was a series of 14 paintings that like only kind of after he started, he realized what he was moving toward uh, was a series here. There are, again, no figures. It is abstract. They are arranged in 14. Um, he was not religious, but I talked about how the suffering of the passion story and that kind of cry, why have you forsaken me from the cross? And with artists kind of responding to World War II and the horrors there, 
that there's some inspiration for him. And then also the sense of these kind of put together could move could move in a similar way. I mean, through the stations. Again, nothing, none of them are, you could tell what's going on. You can't look at them closely and figure out, oh, this one represents this other. It's not realism. It's, it's not naturalism. It's, you know, it's abstract art. And I found the experience very moving. Like, And for me as a person prone to prayer and reflection, that it, it prompted some of that and I could make some of those connections. Um, so I, I'm just curious for you about, like the place for kind of engaging art that isn't as explicitly religious as the work in this volume and how that can also be um, vehicle for encountering divine spark or beauty or something that even if it isn't as kind of clearly religious, quote unquote. Yeah, well, I, I think, I mean, when you're when you're talking about just art in general, as well as um uh, for example, just encountering nature, oftentimes doing so in a prayerful way, you can gather things out of it. Or, um, you know, there, there's, I, I do think that if you're, um, if you're seeing most Western art today, uh, I'm not sure exactly how to phrase this, but basically the, legacy of religious artwork and compositions is so inescapable in Western art that you're going to see echoes of it in almost every sort of art that you see, because we, we, we I mean, they're, they're, it's almost impossible to see, uh, for exa example, like a, a photograph by Dorothea Lange showing a, a sharecropper hold, holding her daughter and not think Madonna and child. It's it's it w once you've gotten that sort of framework embedded uh, in the in the Western art tradition, it's very hard to kind of entirely step outside that. So I've seen a lot of contemporary paintings that um, that end up borrowing compositions, whether intentional or not, fr uh, from these sorts of depictions of the saints and, and Jesus and Mary. I'm wondering. I then so you, describing kind of being formed in a certain tradition or with vocabulary visual vocabulary and then seeing echoes being able to make those connections and for you as someone who again spends a lot of time both creating but then also looking closely and you, and you mentioned that earlier too what are some of your when you're approaching a work can you bring us into that process can you help us maybe like learn to be better seers um, what are things we can look for when we look at the, the works in the Catholic home gallery or at a museum or even in nature, like that kind of close attention? Uh, what are things that you're noticing when you're, when you're looking at a work of art? Well, I usually start with the obvious. You, you're looking at the figure or you're looking at the, the main focal point of it. But then as you sit with it and, and start to notice other details, it's, it's, you kind of start asking yourself, what, what could that mean? Is this, what is this here for? Is there a, um, is there a secondary meaning to this object in, in this, in this space? Um, and, uh, some of my favorite painters, um, like I was mentioning before, the, uh, painters of the, of the Nabius school, uh, a lot of them got very into the symbolism of color. So even 
just uh, aside from objects and things in there, often colors have a have a meaning. Um, and you don't always know exactly what the, that meaning may be, uh, especially if it's a non-traditional uh, sort of thing. But like, I'm just going to pick out one of the um, the items, one of the one of the things in here. Uh, you've got the image in here of the um, Assumption of Mary by Michael D. O'Brien, and there's so much detail in there. Uh, and it, he's he's got Jesus sort of coming out through a portal in the in the sky to lift his mother up, but then you've also got this road to three crosses in the background that is coming towards us in a sort of uh, blood red image. There, there there's sort of what appears to be sort of constellations and swirls in the robe of Jesus. He's wearing a blue robe, and then there's this vividly magenta slash pink angel uh, in church. And and then there's what looks like you know farmland down below, um, the way that Mary is dressed is also evocative of Our Lady of Guadalupe. There's a lot of these different things you can see in there, and then the the more you you sit there with it, and also that just the gestures of the of the like why is how is Jesus reaching down and the way that he is clasping, you know, his mother's shoulder. And then the, this angel who's also assisting, like there, all of these different elements come together in an interesting way. And it's, and uh, just sitting there and trying to figure out like, what, what is, what is going on here? What, what, what do these colors mean? What is, what is this? What is, what does all of this mean? And, and do I like it? Does this connect with me? Does this, is this speaking to me in a way that uh, that is really doing something for my understanding or uh, my appreciation of this subject? Because, you know, let's face it, art, while I do think there's an objective standard of beauty in many ways, the way that you're going to encounter it is subjective and is formed by your experiences and what went into you as a person. So... What may speak to somebody uh, may not speak to another person. I appreciate your sharing that. This might be getting into a, a can of worms, but I, you say you believe there's an objective standard of beauty. Can you say more about what you mean? Well, I do think that, that when we're talking about w what is beautiful, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I, I think has not helped modern art is is a an idea that uh, beauty is always subjective and is always in, in the eye of the beholder. Hmm. And I think that uh, things that are, and, and I don't think you can nail it down really easily. Mm -hmm. And I think a rigid idea of what makes things beautiful often leads to things that I'm not a huge fan of. <laughs> like, for example, you can get um, uh, people who, this is, okay, just a quick sidestep, but there is a sort of modern renaissance of uh, realist painting where people get really, really into the 19th century academic movement. It's kind of symbolized by artists like, you know, William Bougereau and stuff. I'm not a huge fan of it. And they also tend to be 
very dismissive of any other schools like oh that's not beautiful we have the true beauty here hmm. um in this very rigidly applied sort of thing on the entire opposite side of that would be the the you know there is no objective standard to art is purely subjective um i think there's there's some sort of median way where you do understand you know i i think that any person who has a soul who stands on like the shore of the ocean and watches the sun come up is going to be moved by that hmm. there is something objectively beautiful about that hmm. um and it's the way that it influences our artistic depictions is also going to be different on the other hand you you got things that are while they may be objectively ugly looking like you know matthias grunewald's famous depiction of the crucifixion which is very grisly that also has a beauty to it um but i have also seen more kind of modern depictions of kind of horror uh illustration that have some of the same kind of aspects as that crucifixion might have but to me the work ends up being kind of repellent because it, it is saying something untrue about human nature it's like giving you this this idea that humanity is ir irredeemably depraved and hmm. uh, we're reflecting that through this art showing, you know, horrible tortures and things like that. Hmm. So, yeah, I probably should get better at articulating what I, what I mean when, when I say these things, but I do, but uh, yeah, that's basically, uh, I, 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 I'm not interested in trying to nail down a series of objective uh, standards by which you ju judge art, but I do think that there is such a thing as something that is truly beautiful and something mm. that is truly not. So, kind of spending time reflecting on that, and then also being a creator yourself, I'm wondering for you, like what, how, as a some creative person, how that is a spiritual act for you uh, as you're illustrating, making, curating, designing. Um, could you bring us into to your process at all, creative process, and, and how that connects to you, uh, to the life of your own faith? Um, well, when I'm working on a, uh, you know, book cover or some of this sort of design thing, it's it's actually pretty nitty gritty. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sitting down with, with usually a notebook. I'm drawing multiple things and trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. If I'm uninspired, I'll get up and I'll look around at the artwork in my house. I'll look at books. I'll go to a museum, go to a bookstore. Um, when it comes to creating sacred art, I haven't done a whole lot of creation of sacred art myself. And one of the main reasons is because I'm afraid of doing something that's bad. Mm. <laughs> so I've done a few, I've done a few uh, smaller items of, of sacred art, but um, it's, it's something that I feel very intimidated by mm. because um, it's it, you always feel like you want to do something that's worthy and uh and, and so uh like this last christmas i made a, a linoleum block print of the madonna and child that i sent around to friends and family and that was a, a very rewarding experience I, I really enjoyed doing that and i want to do more things like that um but uh 
yeah, as far as like getting into the spirituality of it, I find that for me going to a church that is very inspiring, that has, uh, you know, some something about the, the, the space inside it is inspiring to me, that will be very, um, that, that really helps feed my creativity. And also taking space uh, sometimes away from uh, looking too much too quickly online. Mm. Uh, you, because when you're looking at something on social media, it's often a great way of being introduced to something, but it, you can tend to flip through it really quickly. And then you lose that aspect of really immersing yourself in that work. And so uh, going to, I'll, sometimes I'll go to uh, one of the churches that we love, that I love out here in Cincinnati. Like there's one called St. Monica, St. George, that has these beautiful painting, paintings and mosaics in it. And just sitting there and focusing on one element on like the mosaic on the back wall and then just letting that lead outward from there that um, that's always something that, that, you know, is a, an exercise that really helps in seeing and beholding and noticing the small details that you may have missed before. Well, John Harriet, I appreciate your taking the time. The book is The Catholic Home Gallery, um, 18 Works of Art by Contemporary Catholic Artists. It has some nice short essays in there as well with artists reflecting on their, their own work. It's a really beautiful volume, and so thank you for sharing that. And um, for me, again, I'm glad that it came from a Jesuit publication because it feels like a very Jesuit thing, right, is to kind of find God in all things, find God in, in beauty, be involved as a, a kind of co-creator, to be the work of the imagination, too, is something that is uh, so central to Ignatian spirituality. So a, a really cool volume, and congratulations on that coming. And I hope there's a, a sequel and, and more in the series because there's certainly a lot of great stuff out there. Yeah, thank you. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leach, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation with the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to AMDG on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. Mm-hmm.